Hey, good morning, Pathway. Hope you're doing well. This is Pastor Brian, and I am on my annual summer break, but with you in heart and spirit, and just knowing that God is doing a mighty work in our family and in our church family. Uh, we are in a series, Generations Following by Faith, and one of the things we wanted to do during this series and during my break was to give opportunity for some of our generational pastors and leaders to share their heart and to teach as a part of the series. And today you've got a special treat. Uh, the original, the one and only, the one who has been here uh, for literally over three decades, Pastor Doug Vogt. Yeah, that's right. Pastor Doug is going to share the word with us. And I love his heart for the Lord and his reverence for the word of God. I think you're in for a special treat today. And again, as we believe for what God is doing across generations, let me just encourage you, receive the word, hear, and then do. Let's follow by faith and be obedient. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for today. God, I thank you for Pastor Doug. I thank you for his decades, literally, of service here by faith. I thank you for the ways that he shows up and that he has shepherded others and cared for them so well. I pray, God, your hand on his message today that we as a people would receive it and would say yes and amen. May we hear your word and be doers of it. Bless the morning and be with him now. We thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Have a great morning. about you, but I love to watch biking, you know, like the Tour de France. Anybody tune into the Tour de France in France? Wow, two hands. All right. Um, let's talk about football instead. Um, and yeah, I've been tuned into the Tour de France. I just love watching these guys and, and, and to see, you know, there's a whole bunch of stages, like 21, 22 stages. Every stage is a race, you know, and it goes for almost the entire month of July. And there's one winner for every stage. And that person gets up on the victory stand and he's the winning cyclist. And man, the media is there and the whole world gets to look at this guy. You know, I, I feel a little bit like that guy who has achieved some, you know, some kind of a win. But I tell you, when I think of any victory in my life, I know, I know it was God. I know it was the grace of God. And, and I know it was family and friends and so many church people throughout my life, beginning, phew, beginning with cradle roll department. Do we ever, do we still call it the cradle roll department? But my entire life, people have poured into me and just cared and cared and shared the word. So, you know, I, I have to give credit to the team, the team in my life, and that would be all those people. Um, yeah, and that's what those bikers do, you know? They, they point to their team and say, the team got them to go all the way and cross the line first. Well, one of the things I want you to be tuned into or uh, into as we 
unfold and develop this message this morning are key words like promises, promises of God. A key word like forward-looking faith, forward-looking faith, trust, obey. These are some of the key words that'll come up again and again. I want to share just a few scriptures. These are just a few that help us get a handle on the book of Hebrews. Of course, you know the author. No, we don't know the author. See, trick questions sometimes come out of my mouth. We don't know who the author is. We truly don't know. A lot of suggestions. But we know there are some really, really special, if I can put it that way, special scriptures in this book that help us understand the heart and soul, the, the big thrust of the book. Here's just a couple, just a couple. Hebrews 6, 19, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. Wow, speaking of the Old Testament system and the tabernacle and how only, the, only that high priest could go behind the curtain into the Holy of Holies and nobody else could go. Listen, because of Jesus Christ and his atoning death on the cross of Calvary, burial and resurrection, and now serving as a high priest at the right hand of the throne of God, because of all that, we have access to God. We are united with him. How thrilling. Forever, <clears throat> not just today, forever. This is, this is unbelievable. And so we have a hope. We have a hope that presses on in our journey with Jesus Christ. Here's another one. Hebrews 11.1. 1. And yes, we'll get to Hebrews, a particular passage in a few minutes. Hebrews chapter 11, again, our main focus. But verse 1, now faith is the assurance of things Hope for the conviction of things not seen. How many were raised on that verse? You heard it maybe growing up, maybe, you know, it might have been the King James Version, but that was a verse that I, I would hear growing up. It was just kind of, um, it popped up frequently, it seems. That's a great definition. It's short, it's kind of a nutshell, but it's packed. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction the evidence of things not seen. Even that verse gets us to thinking forward, future, forward-looking faith. And finally, this one, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. This might be the passage that helps us get to the heart of this book more than anything else. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Forward-looking faith. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy was, uh, that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Wow. Wow. Kind of like the gospel in a nutshell. There it is. Um, so with that in mind, I want us to also take a minute and just look at some what I call amazing discoveries or facts about the book. And again, these are just a few. But I want to challenge you, whenever you go to whatever book in the Bible, how many books in the Bible? 66. Whenever you go to any of those books, books, excuse me, you want to be looking for some of these really key 
verses or key words, key truths. Well, here's a couple. Written in the 60s AD, the book is called Hebrews. Why? It was written to Jewish Christians, mostly. Now, it was written either from Italy or written to believers in Italy. Why do we say that? Because Italy is mentioned in the book. Hebrews makes more than 80 references to the Old Testament. Hebrews explains the gospel of Jesus Christ and the new covenant is far better than the old covenant. That's another phrase that pops up quite often in the book of Hebrews. This is far better, far better, far better. And most of those references are specifically to the new covenant which Jesus established. He came to fulfill the law. We know that his death on the cross was monumental in terms of taking away the sins of the world. The provision to redeem people who would repent of their sins and trust the Savior alone for salvation. Hebrews also exhorts believers to stick with Jesus. Stick with him. Continue the journey. Continue to trust and obey. Many were wondering if they had chosen wisely when they rejected their ancient Jewish traditions for this new faith, faith in Christ. They needed to understand who Jesus is and why he is superior to every answer, every person, every thought, every religion, you name it. He is superior. He is the incomparable Jesus Christ. And the author of Hebrews encourages them to trust Jesus as God's final word. And we know that his plan of salvation is far better than the old system of animal sacrifices. And so they would have the courage to keep moving forward in the faith. So much emphasis right there in that, those words that I just read. Much emphasis given on encouragement. Come on, don't give up. Let the Lord guide you and sustain you each day, one step at a time. But here's why it was so critical. About this time, persecution was so widespread. Great persecution. You know, emperors, Roman emperors like Nero and others were, were out to get them. And they were arresting many Christians and causing them to suffer in so many different ways. Many of them suffered the martyr's death. Persecution was wide. They were in hiding. Many of them just scattered all throughout the Roman world. They just took off. But they brought with them Jesus. When they went into the different parts of the Roman world, they brought with them Jesus in the Old Testament. So important, so important that we know, know something about what they were going through. I had the privilege many years ago, along with about 20 other um, 20 other college students to go to Rome and to see the catacombs, at least some of the catacombs. How many, raise your hand if you know what those are. The catacombs. All right, almost every hand. Um, these are subterranean dwellings that the Christians lived in. 
I mean, they just dug these tunnels pretty far down and they carved into the rock and into the dirt a place to sleep and a place to eat and they did this here and that. And even when they would die, they provided their own cemetery in that tunnel, the subterranean dwellings. We were able to see though, I don't know today if you can still uh, have the privilege of seeing one of the catacombs in or near Rome. Wow, was that a wake-up call to think this is what they endured. This is what they were so mindful of and the hardship and and the fear. The catacombs. Listen to this. We know that Romans, I'm sorry, Hebrews 11 is God's hall of faith. I find myself sometimes calling it the hall of fame, but it's the hall of faith. And there are a whole bunch of short stories, right? just laid out there in that chapter, people who lived out their faith in God in in amazing ways, exemplary ways. And with that in mind, listen to this statement by Kent Hughes. He says, the life of faith demands that we live in dissonance, dissonance with the unbelieving world. A life of faith is not anti-cultural, but counter-cultural. Thus, a vibrant faith in Christ is always matched with a sense of dis-ease, a pervasive in-betweenness. Catch this. A sense of being a camper. It's a dangerous thing when a Christian begins to feel permanently settled in this world. This is some some of the drift of this book of Hebrews. These people are some of them wandering aimlessly and they're scared and, and, and they're so derailed in terms of their faith in God and some of them are just so focused on the values and the things of that day and it goes on and on and on and Jesus would have them come back, come back. And so in this book, the author is just encouraging them to stand tall and straight, just know Know that he is faithful and right. And that would be a vital point that I bring to you, called point one, if you will. God is faithful and right, even if God's message seems absurd. Seems absurd. Now let me take you kind of a recap of a story that I believe was touched on in recent weeks because we've been camping out in Hebrews 11 here uh, recently. But here we have... The story of Sarah, I'll make this brief. Sarah is given some big news by God. The Lord said, I will surely return to you, Abraham, Abraham, about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. And the passage goes on. And so what do we see here? Sarah, age 89, denied that she had laughed, for she was afraid. She really was afraid. She probably thought, why did God wait so long to fulfill that promise some years back, that promise to Abraham, her husband? Why now, God? I'm 89. You're going to do what? I'm going to give birth? The answer to the why is this. God wanted Abraham's total trust. Total trust. And that comes only through testing. Have you ever been tested by God? God did fulfill his promise and Sarah bore Isaac the next year. Impossible? 
not with God. His ways are not always our ways. His ways are always perfect. His timing is perfect. That's our God. And the words of God to Abraham in Genesis 18, 14 are so special. Is anything too hard for the Lord, Abraham? Is anything too hard for the Lord? And really, it's, it's a declaration of a, of a fact, a truth. Abraham, nothing is too hard for me. Look to me. Look to me. Stick closer and closer and closer to me. Dr. Michael Kruger says, faith is the cure for our wandering hearts. Sometimes all of us, including me, we wander, we get off track, we're derailed, we get caught up in some of the enticements of the world, and so much more could be said. Things that cause us to wander, maybe with no purpose, aimless, not sure what's going on, getting away from spending time in the scriptures and in prayer. But Dr. Kruger also said, what makes faith successful is what you put your faith in, not how strong your faith is. We believe in strong faith, going deeper in our faith. We believe, I believe that. God wants us to go and experience strong faith. But friends, it begins with what is the object of your faith? Who are you trusting? And it better be Jesus. You can't go wrong with Jesus, the incomparable Jesus Christ, the only one who can save and deliver and bring victory. Just let me share a little bit. You're wondering about this, right? Can somebody contact the custodian? They left it out. We have a service going on. Why did they leave this? Well, here's why it's here. Uh, when I first came to Pathway, and this is just a little illustration of the point, absurdity. Sometimes we deal with absurdity when we, when we think about the Lord and his message to us. Really, God? What? You want me to do what? Or go where? Uh, yeah, I, I came on at Pathway as a custodian. Some of you out there, you remember, you watched me. We kind of did this together, right? But I was, I was privileged to come on initially as one of the custodians. And I had already pastored for years. New Jersey, Colorado, Illinois, New England. Then we came here. And this became my next ministry. Yeah, plungers and clean toilets. And, and what I learned, listen, what I learned was it was a high privilege, privilege and a high calling. Maybe I didn't sense that strongly in the beginning. But I do know this that at that time, and boy, this is what I knew at that time. And I knew nothing else, but I knew two things. God said, stay in Vero Beach. I know you don't fully get it. It seems absurd. Stay in Vero Beach. And Doug, I don't want you to take another pastorate. Not yet. Just stay in Vero Beach. And at that point, we're plugged in the pathway. We started worshiping here. Um, I had been serving in another church in Florida and God just quickly led us here and we just came to worship and, and fell in love with the friendliness of this place and so many people that cared and loved us. And, uh, but at the same time, Pastor Grant Powell said, Doug, we need a part-time custodian. 
Now, I was doing some other jobs as well, but he said, hey, we have a guy that's going to leave. And, uh, hey, can you help us? Man, can you help us? And I took it. And uh, it was just interesting. But I, I remember challenging God, much like Abraham, questioning, negotiating with God. God, all those years of training... You know, seminary and, and, and Bible college and all this stuff and the, and the years of pastoring. and what, 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 I just assumed I'd be a pastor for all these years. You want me to what? Take this detour? I'm telling you, I, I knew that. I knew that I knew to do those two things. But it, that left me with a lot of questions as well. Well, how am I going to make a li- I, I got to put bread on the table. How am I going to pay the bills? What, what's going on, God? What are you doing? Well... I share that because I have the moments when it seemed absurd. And uh, <laughs> God has his surprises. You know, sometimes we don't see some of these things coming. I refer to that wilderness or desert experience as kind of a parenthesis in my Christian vocation, in my pastoral ministry. But it was so good. It was so good. I learned that even in the valley, the soil can be really fertile. And there's, there's some good lessons learned and there's some growth that takes place because God is there. God is there. Whew, just had to share that with you, a little pathway experience from way back. But there's another vital point I want you to embrace. God is faithful and right, even when we question God. Even when we question. Well, here again, let me recap this little story that we've touched on in recent weeks. Genesis 18, 1825. Abraham says, far be it from you, God, to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, referring to Sodom, and God declaring that he's going to destroy that city because the wickedness and sin was incredible. Abraham, so that the righteous fare, or they will be spared, and, and, and that you would do this miracle for, for him, for Abraham. Far be it from you, God. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? That is, do right. Do what is right. Well, you know the story. Have you ever wondered about God's character? God's character? Abraham did. And the Lord said, he's going to destroy Sodom. Abraham was worried. I think I would have been worried too. He was worried. How could God do such a thing? There's a bunch of righteous people there, God. You're going to wipe them all out? You've got to be kidding, God. Abraham couldn't lay this down. He couldn't let go. He negotiated and talked with God about this and kept coming back. He just wouldn't let it go. But friends, we know from Scripture that God is righteous as well as right. He is righteous, and he hears our prayers. He cares about the innocent by faith, the innocent or the righteous. He cares deeply. He honored Abraham's request. God saved those few righteous people. So Abraham declared, shall not the judge, almighty God, of all the earth do right, do that which is just? Well, just as he preserved the innocent, the righteous, in Sodom, he will take care of you and me. Oh, friends, I hope you believe that with everything in you. He will take care of you and me. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. No instruments. We're going to sing one verse of one song. 
one verse, great is thy faithfulness. We'll sing it together, no instruments, just the one verse, but here's why we're singing it. Because this, this song, boy, reminds us of the faithfulness of God. And the song says, it's great. It's great. And other attributes of God are tucked away in this first verse. So sing with me. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever wilt be. Great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Did you catch some of the biblical theology there and some of the attributes of God? Compassionate, merciful, eternal. What a God. But his faithfulness is great, great. John, John Piper, oh, I love this man. What a great pastor and author. John Piper says, what is faith? It is seeing the promises of God from afar and experiencing a change of values so that you desire the promises above what the world has to offer. And then he says, it is a glad greeting of those promises from a distance and a heart seeking to know them, cherish them, be satisfied by them so that a new kind of life emerges that is out of sync with the world. We look at the promises, we embrace them fully. Oh, I love that. I love that. I want to stop right here and remind you that Abraham, the friend of God, the patriarch of all patriarchs, he was given this prophetic word and this glimpse into the future son of God, the Messiah who would come, the Lamb of God who would come. How do we know this? Listen to this. In John chapter 8, Jesus says this speaking to Jewish people that were questioning him and trying to trick him. He says, your father Abraham, Jesus talking, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day the day of Jesus, he saw it and was glad. So we know that, that Abraham, he was given this glimpse how much he saw and understood. All I know is it wasn't just about Canaan. He didn't just take him to Canaan, leave Ur, the Chaldees, Abraham, and go over here. It may take you months, but that's where I want you. Abraham never saw that, that being the end, the end of his journey. We know from Hebrews 11 verses 6 and 10 and other places in Hebrews where Abraham talks about a city, a heavenly city, a celestial city, the new Jerusalem. He saw it. He believed in that. 
He knew, he, his vision went far beyond Canaan. It wasn't like, okay, you've reached Canaan, now pitch your tents, take care of the camels and all your servants, and, and just enjoy, retire. You've obeyed me, there you are. No, he kept looking to that day, and he knew. He knew that he knew that he knew it was going to happen because he believed the promises of God. I love that. I love that. And finally, here's a vital point to embrace. God is faithful and right. Even if we do not understand, even if we don't understand, Hebrews 11, 17 to 21, whew, here we go. Abraham and Isaac, so much can be said. And we'll be out by two o'clock. But, but no, this, this is our final major point, but I want you to embrace this, catch this, learn from this. <coughs> Excuse me. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac, his only son, your offspring will be named. He considered that God was able to even raise Isaac from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, Isaac did receive, or Abraham did receive Isaac back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessing on Jacob and Esau. And by faith, Jacob, when dying, he blessed each of his sons, of jo the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. This spiritual, this faith lineage, <laughs> it went the way God said it would go. Trust me. I'm going to create a kingdom here, a family that can't be measured. I mean, it's like every sand, every grain of sand in the seashore and every star in the sky. It'll be that vast and that huge. And God is doing that today. He's developing his family and kingdom, furthering, furthering. It's happening, friends. Whether you are aware, whether you're on board of this journey or not, it's happening, and the gates of hell cannot prevail and go work against it. Abraham and Isaac, we have the picture, don't we? Man, it's a difficult picture to look at. All my life I've looked at that picture or something similar to that, and I've wondered, I've wondered, have you wondered, how does this happen? What father would do this? The greatest test of Abraham's trust came when God asked him to do it. Sacrifice your beloved son. Isaac's about 10, 11, 12 years old. Why would God want Abraham to kill his son? The son of promise. It's only going to happen through Isaac. This promise that he's been hearing about for years. It didn't make sense. It appeared to go against the promise that God gave to Abraham about descendants becoming into a new nation. And, but hear this, by this time, Abraham didn't question or doubt. He got up the next morning to do what he had been asked to do. And after many years of being the Abraham who questioned and negotiated and challenged God, reacting to God's directions, Abraham finally sought to be 100% obedient. Oh, I love this. He learned the secret of walking with God. He learned the secret. What's the secret? Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus 
is to trust and obey. That was the lesson he learned. He didn't learn it overnight. He grew and grew and learned from the promises and the, and the experiences and, and some ups and downs and setbacks and you know a couple steps back and more steps forward and all this stuff is going on. But he finally gets to this point. To me, this is like the chapter of all chapters in the book of Hebrews. And this could be the passage of all passages because there is so much here. Dr. John Maxwell said, God has been faithful to every promise he had made. So Abraham trusted his character. That, that's profound. I know it sounds like, oh, that's just elementary stuff. No, listen, let me say it again. God had been faithful to every promise he made to Abraham. So Abraham trusted him. Oh, that we would live that way by faith that we would come to a closer, closer walk. He finally, finally understood. And by the way, this is forward-looking faith, is it not? Forward-looking faith. John Maxwell says, he finally understood that we should not try to understand God until we have first obeyed him. Makes sense. <laughs> we try to understand God from afar and, and we're not in the word, we're kind of drifting and we're all wrapped up in other stuff. But obey him in the present, in the future. And, and I get this. When we walk with God, your character, my character, becomes like God's. Isn't that amazing? The scriptures talk about being conformed into the image of God gradually more and more on the journey of faith. Abraham also knew that he didn't deserve the promise of the land and his many descendants and didn't deserve the grace and favor of God because they were all gifts. This great God, he chose him. Who knows what? We don't know all the reasons why he chose Abraham. But these were gifts given to an ordinary man, believed to be very wealthy in his time and day, but an ordinary man. But that became crystal clear when God asked him to sacrifice Isaac on the altar. In obedience, God gave Abraham everything, and he was free. He was free to take it away. Oh, I love this faith. Taking Isaac's life was a test of Abraham's gratitude and faith. Again, this humble patriarch feared God. So what do we mean by that? Well, this is this incredible reverential awe, sense of awe and trust, a level of trust that maybe few people experience. But all of us can experience it. You know, uh, throughout my life, my Christian life, I hear and I've read books and messages about the, the victorious Christian life or the normal Christian life. And, and what is it? What is that? Do you ever wrestle with that? What is the normal Christian life, the victorious Christian life? And we want to go, we want to have a deeper faith. And, but I believe we're learning the secret right here. This victorious Christian life is seen in this patriarch, Abraham. 
And thank God we see it in many other places throughout God's word. But we see this forward-looking faith, this rock-solid faith. Uh, let me share with you briefly. Um, if we can put the picture up of uh, my son and his family. I show this because it kind of illustrates this, um, this whole matter of not always understanding what God's doing. Yeah, God is faithful. He does what is right. Man, there are times we don't always understand. They have been through a lot, a lot of ups and downs. They've been through a lot of mountaintops experiences and victories and, oh my goodness, a lot of, lot of blessings from the hand of God. Uh, it started many, many years ago. God called Rebecca, my daughter-in-law, and Chris when they were pretty young. And God just groomed them, and they met in college, and, they, and God put on their hearts, I want you to go to Africa. I want you to specifically work with orphans. Orphans. I don't know. In Uganda alone, where Pastor Brian was recently, there's one or two million orphans. Guess what? Orphans desperately need the fatherhood of God to, to bring them into his family, to bring the fatherhood of God to the fatherless they don't know what a family is. And orphans don't even know what a family is. You've got a clue, but they don't know. They're in desperate need of love and the gospel and so much more. Well, God took them on all kinds of journeys and they were in France for a while and uh, came back to the U.S. a number of times, crossing the, the big pond to come back for refreshment and what they call home assignment. God took them to Chad, North Africa. At that point, he redirected them to uh, work with the unreached, the unreached people groups or tribes or nations of the world. Specifically then, it was Chad, the country of Chad. They weren't there that long. It was less than a year. And then God brought them back to the U.S. Three months ago, they went back to France to work with the unreached, the unreached. A big chunk, friends, of this world, the world's population are in that category, unreached. They're not Christians. Many of them never heard of Jesus. Haven't, a lot of them, they're not just Muslims. They belong to all kinds of faiths or religions, false religions. But that's their calling. And, and they just, they keep going. But they keep going because they know we're just ordinary people. And my son, if he were standing here, he'd want you to know that. He would say, we're nothing special. But that call of God is so deep within their hearts. So deep. They believe 100% that he is faithful, he is right. He is loving, but he is just, and he can do anything. And he has. He's provided for them over and over and over. And they continue on. They're doing well, and God is providing housing recently, and a lot of things coming together. Pray for them. Thank you for your prayers. Many of you have known Chris and the family for so, so long. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said this, as we wrap things up here. The worldling, he says, the non-Christian blesses God while he gives him plenty. But the Christian blesses God when God smites him. The Christian believes God to be too wise to err, too good to be unkind. He trusts God where he cannot trace God. 
But he looks up to God in the darkest hour and he believes all is well. I love that quote. <laughs> Had the privilege of going to that old tabernacle uh, where Spurgeon preached for years and it was said by the guide that was walking us through that place that God did miracles and great revival there and throughout London, England and tremendous things were going on because in the basement every week whenever the saints gathered in that tabernacle there were hundreds of people praying praying in the basement <laughs> and God was honoring and oh, hearing the prayers and honoring their prayers and just stepping up and doing miracles getting hold of people's lives and calling them into service and helping them in so many different ways love it love it love it believe that all is well the worship team is going to, uh, in just a, a minute or two, they're going to sing over us and they're gonna sing a song called Even If, Even If. Some of you have heard the song on Christian FM 92 and maybe other places, fairly new song. Love this song. Wow, it, every time I hear it on the radio, it just melts my heart and really grips, grips my heart. Next step questions just before they sing. In what areas do you struggle the most with God? Wow, even if you take one of those questions, maybe not all three, but one of those, and bring it before God and ask him to help you to be victorious, to have faith like Abraham. What are the areas you struggle with? Is it obeying or waiting on him or uh, questioning him, understanding him? Give it to God. Or does the promise of heaven and the faithfulness of God give you the courage to live differently in the world? And how? How do you desire to live differently? Finally, how does the faithfulness of Abraham and all the saints who died in the past in faith, how does that give you hope and encouragement today in your current situation?